Xavier Nation, welcome in. It is the Musketeer Report Sweet 16 pregame show. We will talk to Paul Fritchner from the road. I see Adam Baum requested in. We will talk to Adam Baum from the road. We will take all of your calls. Hopefully, Paul will be able to help me take your calls for the ones that I can't get to. There are several topics I want to get to tonight as we preview this Sweet 16 matchup between Xavier and Texas. A couple of things on my mind. The more I watch this film, the more I like Xavier's chances. I've got an advantage for Xavier that I really like. For those of you that like putting money on certain things, prop bets, fantasy sport type stuff, I've got a matchup that I really like for you on the Xavier side of things. I've got a biggest disadvantage. I think there are some things about Texas that could really cause some problems for Xavier and specifically their defense. We'll talk about that. Also, I think the foul situation is going to be huge in this Texas game. And I'll tell you how that breaks down for both teams. Uh, And then I want to get to a question about Xavier and the final four. This is a question that a listener to the skinny podcast asked for ask skinny anything. I want to pose that back to you guys. So we've got all of that to get to here over the next 30 minutes to an hour. We'll see how long you guys want to go with this thing based on your request. So with that being said, let me start the show with Adam Baum because he's requested in who knows where he is, who knows what type of signal he'll have, because I believe he's in the car right now. And uh, I want to hear from him. So AB, what's going on? Rick, you got me? I got you. What's up, people? Adam, how are the roads? Paul, I did. I want to get this out of the way now. So you're behind us. And when you get to about maybe 205 miles away, you're going to you're going to run into a speed trap. So there's going to be a cop with uh, some radar gun action out. I want I want you on your toes for that. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Adam. You're welcome. Baum, always breaking the law. That's right. Well, me and Kareem, we evaded it. So what? Uh, A B A B. First thing I want to talk to you about is this little kid that uh, wandered into the Xavier locker room. Uh, what type of response did that story get? It, it got a great response. Um, his The kid's dad actually DM'd me on Twitter. That's how I found out about it. Um, and people, you know, I got emails and texts about it, and they were, uh, they were having fun with the story because I think it's like, you know, you're a little kid, and, you know, he just wanted to high-five the players. And he couldn't do that, so he was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow them back to the locker room, basically," and uh, and, and that's how that happened. But it ended up being a pretty cool story. I'm glad I got to do it. Yeah, it ended up turning out really well, and Thank I you. enjoyed reading it. As you look at this Sweet 16 matchup, as you look at this Savior team, I know you've been around them nonstop since basically November, every single day. What, what's standing out to you right now as we look towards the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I was really impressed on Tuesday. Um, I went up to their practice, and I thought they had a really good practice. Um, C.J. Anderson was there. Maybe that had something to do with it. You know, one of the toughest dudes in Xavier history sitting on the bench just watching him get after it. But uh, – I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle this spotlight and, like, the chance to to continue their season. I thought they didn't handle it very well in game one against Kennesaw State. I thought they really came back and handled it well against Pittsburgh in their second opportunity. So 
you know, I, I'm, I'm also curious to hear you talk about Texas because I know you've watched them a lot more than I have. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's pretty common sense at this point, but it just feels like Xavier's going to have to throw their A game at them um, to advance. But I am curious what, what you've seen in Texas and that side of things. It seems like we talk about that every game with Xavier right now it's how do they match up with the opposing team's guards does that opposing team have a dynamic point guard or ball handler that can get downhill off of ball screens texas has multiple scores at the guard spots so xavier is definitely going to have to figure out some things defensively that's probably what concerns me most i'll get into that more um adam in terms of the the different stories it seems like you've been pumping out feature after feature uh, piece after piece about this team. Is there a favorite? Yeah, I think I think my favorite one was uh, Sule's mom, because I don't know if you've gotten a chance to meet her, but she's just the sweetest, um, sweetest woman, and she's super funny. Um, and when Sule told me, you know, the circumstances around why she couldn't make it to the first game, I I immediately went out and gave her a phone call, and she talked to me for like fifteen minutes about it. So. <laughs> That's probably been my favorite one recently. But, you know, I think that this time of year really lends itself to, like, a lot of good stories revealing themselves. And I feel fortunate that a lot of these guys and their families have, you know, opened up to me and and been willing to talk to me about a lot of this stuff. Okay, so here's the question that I got today for asking anything that was posed to us by a listener. I want to hear from all of Xavier Nation. So if you want to get your calls in on this, load them up. Uh, if Xavier is in the final four next weekend, it's because of blank. Fill in that blank for me, Adam. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it, it would proud in my mind, it would be because Colby Jones took over a game at both ends of the floor. All right. Good answer. Like they, they need him at both ends of the floor. And yeah, I'd be, I'd be really curious where people go with this question though. Yeah, I think there are a lot of different answers, and that's why I liked it. So I want to hear your answers. Uh, Adam, appreciate you joining us. I know you, you're you having a hard time hearing with you being in the car. So uh, if you wanted to get in on anything else, be sure to to let me know. Otherwise, I will uh, talk at you later. Fritchner, I want to bring you back in here for a second because uh, everyone listened to your Rebound Rundown podcast today. And uh, if you didn't, you should because it was with assistant coach Dave Miller's dad, Dave Miller. And he was really good. And then you had associate head coach Adam Cohen on, and he was really good. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because Adam just brought it up, is he talked about the experience in the NCAA tournament and how Xavier might handle the bright lights of the Sweet 16. And I I can say, just being with NKU last week, it's different. The whole situation is different for these guys that are so used to routine the entire year. Everything is exactly the same on every road trip we go on from the way we get exit hotels and get on the bus and the time you leave at to everything is exactly the same on every road trip. And then all of a sudden you get to the NCAA tournament and everything's different. You're on the NCAA's time. You have this police escort with all these flashing lights and you're stopping traffic as you ride through town. It's just got a totally different vibe to it. Cameras are everywhere you go. People are filming you with their phones, all of that. So I guess my question for you is, I heard you talk about this a little bit with Dave Miller on your podcast and Xavier didn't have NCAA tournament experience 
coming into this year's NCAA tournament. And I don't know if that's what cost them against Kennesaw State, or or I should say very nearly cost them against Kennesaw State, or if it had nothing to do with that and was something else entirely. But to me, it seemed like if there were any concerns about the lack of experience or the lights being too bright, those were settled after watching what they did in the second round against Pittsburgh. What are your thoughts after some of the conversations you had today? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think from the vibe that I've gotten from everybody that I've talked to that's been involved in this, and, it's, and that goes to, you know, whether it's Adam Cohen today on the show or whether it was Dave or whoever I talked to, some of the guys after the game, you know, the press conference, they talked about it, where they got that win under their belt, they beat Kennesaw State, and they could take a deep breath. And that's the same deal that we've talked about for years, and it was something that we thought might happen last year in the Big East tournament in the first round, and they ended up losing to Butler. It looked like they all played so tight when the lights were brightest, when the moments mattered, they played tight because they knew they hadn't accomplished the big moment yet. And when they had to accomplish the big moment, they couldn't do it. They couldn't step up to the plate. But now that they finally did, now that they finally got a win in the NCAA tournament, look at how free and easy they played on Sunday. That was the team that, – that was two games in a row, the, the Marquette game and the Big East final, which obviously you can look at – just a war of attrition in that game and how much Xavier had been worn down. The guys were tired and, 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 and they were just beat up in that game and everything like that. But then you play two games in a row like that, the Marquette game and then the game against Kennesaw State, back-to-back games where it's just not the Xavier team that we've been used to all year. And sure, the Xavier didn't make a, a field goal for the last six and a half minutes or whatever it was against Pitt, but that was the team more so that we had seen all year, 48 points in the first half, that was a team that we were used to watching all season long. So, Well, Paul, let me let me push back on that a little bit. I would argue it's the team we saw in the semifinals of the Big East tournament against Creighton, and I don't know if that's the same team we saw all year. They've been good all year, but I don't know if they've been that good. In the Creighton game and this Pittsburgh game, I thought they were at their best. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that, that they, they were playing – well, what do we always say, right? They want to play their best basketball. In the they want to peak in March. You want to be that's that's a no-brainer, and they were doing that. They were they had beaten DePaul, and then they came out and just blown the doors off of Creighton. But then you take a step back and you lose the way you do to Marquette, and you almost lose the way that game went against Kennesaw State. And you're thinking, uh oh, did they peak against Creighton? Was that the was that the pinnacle of the season? Was that everything that was was that what they had worked for? No, it wasn't. But was that the best performance you're going to get? And then they come out against Pittsburgh and they put all those worries to rest and you say, okay, this team is back. This is potentially the best, like you said, Rick, potentially the best that they've looked all year. So now you're going into a game against Texas where you're not playing a 14 seed. You're not playing an 11 seed. Granted, Pitt, I guess at the time, was probably playing a little bit better than a typical 11 seed, but you're still playing a double-digit seed. Now you're playing the fifth team in the country on Ken Palm, you're playing a team that is top 15 in both Ken Palm offense and defense. You're playing a team that runs eight and a half, nine guys deep. You're running a, 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 against a team that is a, a, the Big Ten turn, or the Big 12 tournament champion by 20 points over Kansas. I mean, this is legitimately a just massive opponent on Friday night. But like you said, Rick, as the week has gone on, I mean, I, I'm looking back, thinking back to that, that spaces that we did on Sunday night. And thinking about how tired I was in that car ride home, and I was just thinking, man, Texas, 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 how much I've watched Texas this year and how good they seem at times. And I think I called it on Sunday. I think I called it a nightmare matchup 
but as the week has gone on and I've talked to you, I see Doug Tifton here. He and I have talked about it a lot. Adam and I have talked about it and, and, and the shows I, I had a, I had a, a Texas beat writer on today. And I think he, he said a lot of the same things that Doug Tift wrote, um, on the message board earlier today. And it was a, a great post and a great, uh, thought about how these teams match up and how, Yes, Xavier is going to have to play probably at their best to be able to win this game, but this is not a game where you're also going to need help from Texas. I'll say this, and I'll let you let you get back to it. I don't think that this is a game where Xavier has to play their best game of the year and they need help from Texas to also win the game. I think right. that this is a game where if they play their best game, they will win this game. It's not like, a, oh, you know, they're playing – 38 and 0 Kentucky and you know Kentucky's got to miss some shots and they got to play a C plus game. I think if Xavier plays as best as they can on Friday night, you know, this is a team that's very much capable of beating this Texas team. I would agree with that assessment. I wouldn't say Xavier obviously Xavier's not going to be favored. We've already seen the lines, we've seen what Ken Palm says. And I don't know that I would say I'd pick them to win this game, but there's no doubt that it's going to be a battle. And they've got a chance to win this game. And the more I watch Texas, the more I see some vulnerabilities. And I think Texas has this reputation of being very tough defensively and they're athletic and they get after you and they speed you up and they force you into turnovers. And also when you look at the way their play types break down, like on synergy and you say, okay, well, how do they do against opposing teams when they post up their metrics look very good. They're good against actual post-ups. But then you look at what they've done against some opposing big men, and you start to see a lot of opposing big men have had good games against them. Now, not necessarily like career nights, but they usually put up good numbers. If you have a guy that's, you know, 6'7", 220 or bigger, he tends to rack up multiple baskets in the paint against them. So I started going back through the video and watching it, and – some of the things I see is because they're so aggressive on defense, they have these athletic forwards and they like to jump into passing lanes at times. So sometimes they jump a passing lane in the mid range or along the perimeter against an opposing forward and they take themselves out of the play. And now the opposing forward goes right in for a wide open layup or dunk. Sometimes it's they get themselves out of position again because they're being really aggressive on the defensive end and they get back cut to the rim and it's wide open layup. Or a lot of times what they struggle with is opposing big men rolling off the pick and roll. After that situation, they don't do a great job of protecting the rim. Yes, Dylan Dessou, their center, blocks some shots, and he has some length and athleticism, but overall, they're not a team that really protects the rim at a high level, and they're just not a very big team overall inside. And that's where I think Xavier might have their biggest advantage. If Jack Nunji plays his best, I think he could go for 20 plus points in this game. No problem against Texas's interior defense. And I'm not saying they're going to be able to just throw the ball into the post and let him go to work. But what I just talked about, some of those other things like the pick and roll actions, some of the high low stuff that Xavier likes to run. And I don't think this is exclusive to just Nunji. I think Jerome Hunter can get some points because these are the types of plays that Jerome Hunter has been scoring on through the first two rounds. Some of those cuts, the dump offs around the basket, just making himself available, being in the right place at the right time. Those types of baskets are available in the paint against this Texas team. 
and they tend to give them up at a fairly high rate. Now, if you look at their metrics defensively, their defensive field goal percentages, all of that, they're not bad. (laughs) They're a really good defensive team. So uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but the more I watch, the more I see some vulnerabilities inside, especially with a guy like Jack Nungy, who's going to be so much bigger than their biggest players. Dylan DeSue at 6'9", is their tallest player. And to be quite honest, looking at him, I don't know that he's actually 6'9". Now he does have longer arms. He's fairly athletic, so he he, he plays plenty big enough. But this is not a big Texas team. They're athletic, but they're not overly big inside. So I think that's the biggest thing that I see from a Xavier standpoint, where I think they could really exploit Texas consistently is getting the ball to Nunji. Now to do that, you have to be able to handle the pressure on the perimeter. Because if you're turning the ball over, you're not going to be able to get the ball inside anyways, and it's not going to matter. But if you're able to do that, I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities available for Jack Nungy. Here's one thing I will say, too. I'm not allowed to bet on Xavier, but I do look at the lines. Huh. And and as the week has gone along, all of the money has come in on Texas as only three-and-a-half-point favorites, and the line has not moved. It stayed at three-and-a-half. And as the week has gone on, look, there's a reason that Vegas is, you know, that they're that they're built on what they're built on out there. And they generally you can know going into a game without maybe even looking at who the teams are playing, what's going to happen in a game because of that line movement. And the, the more and more that this week has gone along and I've seen the money come in and that the line hasn't moved, the better and better. And I've woken up every morning this week feeling all better and better and better from a uh, betting perspective of Xavier's point in this game, because with the amount of money and the amount of bets that are coming in on Texas, you'd think that it would have raced up maybe toward four or five, but it stayed right there at, at three and a half. Um, so from that perspective, I just, as this week has gone on, I have become increasingly more optimistic about Xavier's chances from all aspects on Friday night. You had those conversations with not only a Texas writer, but also with Adam Cohen, Xavier assistant coach, and uh, Dave Miller, assistant coach David Miller's dad. What stood out to you from the things that they said? Was there anything about the matchup specific to Texas or just the Sweet 16 and and Xavier that stood out to you? Well, I thought Adam, uh, you know, to Adam's credit, Adam Cohen's credit, I I thought he was pretty open about everything. You know, the way that Xavier has attacked this tournament and you know I asked him about their ball screen defense there over the weekend and he talked about how you know they try to vary things up they try to change things up as much as they can throw different looks out at these teams and you don't want to change obviously you don't get to march and then all of a sudden change your identity or change who you are but it's it's nice to know sometimes that what we talk about so much Rick and and uh, what we reinforce, you know, whether, you know, it's you on the message board or whether it's on podcasts, whatever it is that we talk about that, you know, it's been, what, 14 games now, like Adam said, that they played without Zach Fremantle and they've learned how to adjust. They know that, you know, foul trouble on Saturday, on Friday night is going to be an issue. You don't want Jack Nungy picking up two fouls right away. He talked a lot about Colby Jones and how uh, exceptional of a game he's been able to have. And I, the other thing, too, that I thought specifically – that he brought that that Cohen brought up that I really liked was how I, I asked him about Colby's rebounding and he said not only is the rebounding so effective, but the the result of the rebounding for Colby is effective because he can then trigger the break and play the point on that possession and it just makes everything you know sometimes flow easier or, or go quicker. 
Um, I, I just thought that, you know, hearing how he walked through everything was pretty interesting. Yeah, you mentioned the foul situation. Uh, I, I think that is going to be important in this Texas game because Texas has depth. They can go nine deep, and those other guys, I wouldn't say they're standouts on their bench, but they have guys that can play. They, they don't have a big drop-off when they go to the seventh, eighth, ninth guy. They're fairly talented players. Texas's guards are good at drawing fouls, so that is a concern from Xavier's perspective. They have to stay out of foul trouble, especially when they're guarding the pick and roll, especially when Jack Nungy is involved in those situations. The good news for Jack Nungy is Dylan DeSue is not a guy who draws a lot of fouls. He's a finesse player. He scores a lot of his points in, in like the mid-range on pick and roll, short roll stuff. He likes to shoot a turnaround fadeaway. He's not a guy who like buries his his shoulder into your chest and, and tries to go through you and draw a lot of contact. So I think in that regard, Jack is going to be in a pretty good position from not drawing fouls, trying to guard the post. And Jack does a, a really good job actually of avoiding foul trouble as much as we're always talking about it. I mean, you look at his foul rate, it's, it's actually really low, especially for a center who plays a lot of minutes like he does. So I think That is going to be a big storyline to watch throughout this game. And I think most of it will be centered around how does Xavier do defending the perimeter players for this Texas team and staying out of foul trouble against those guys. Well, yeah. And then you look at a guy like Adam Kunkel, who I feel like every time we turn around is fouling a three-point shooter in the act of shooting. (laughs) I saw somebody on the message board say they're, they're just numb to it now. I think that's to the point of where we are. And those are the kinds of little things in a game like this where the margin for error is so small. You can't be doing things like that. Definitely. All right, Paul, I am going to bring in Doug Tift yep. to yep. break down this Texas matchup here. I know Doug's been writing on the message board. More people subscribe for Doug Tift's message board post than my actual content. And we appreciate him doing that. But I know he's been digging into Texas a little bit here. Hey, what's up? Doug, what's, up, guys? what's going on, man? Not much, not much. All right, so we've been talking about this Texas matchup. I know you've been in here for a little bit. I think you've heard some of that. Uh, I was talking about how the more I watch Texas, the more I see Xavier's biggest advantage being Jack Nungy getting opportunities to score inside and in the paint. What have you uncovered as far as advantages for Xavier? Yeah, I agree. I think um, they don't really have, like you were saying, Nunji just has a basic size advantage of maybe three inches, four inches, whatever it is. He, he's got he's he's significantly taller than anybody on um, or who's going to see the court for Texas. And yeah, Texas isn't great at at taking away some of the quick actions off of off of screening, um, like you were mentioning, whether it's ball screens or even some kind of cross screen type of action because they are so aggressive that sometimes they get out of position, whether that's, you know, getting too high up the lane or whatever it might be. It makes them susceptible to, um, to some sort of actions that set up a set up a post. Um, so that might, might set up well, like you're mentioning for Jerome to get a couple of um, high, low type of looks or, or Nunji to get a couple of those types of looks. Um, and I, honestly, I, I, you were you were saying like there are reasons for confidence for Xavier, and I agree there definitely are a ton of reasons for confidence. But I don't see Xavier having much of a path to victory without Nunji having a big game. And that, that's you know sounds dumb to say. Yeah, the guy who's you know second team big, all Big East needs to have a good game. Yes, obviously. But at, like that, he really has to has to show up and have one of his best games of the season if they have a chance. 
I agree because I think that takes pressure off the perimeter players. If you're not able to score in the paint and get Texas's defense a little bit out of sorts and have to make them settle down a little bit and guard you a little bit more uh, conservatively, then they're just going to be able to overwhelm you on the perimeter and take you out of what you want to do. And I think that's a concern for Xavier in this game because Texas is really good. You saw what they did against a good Penn State offense and a perimeter-oriented Penn State offense. They took them out of what they wanted to do, I thought. So that would be my biggest concern for Xavier. And obviously on the defensive end, there are always concerns for this Xavier team. We talk about them a lot on the message board. I just look at it as with with this Texas group, the biggest disadvantage Xavier has coming into the game is you've got Marcus Carr, you've got Tyrese Hunter, and you've got Serge Jabari Rice. All three of those guys are combo guard type players. I mean, maybe you could say a couple of them are shooting guards, but all of them can handle the ball a little bit. All of them shoot a lot of threes and shoot them at a good enough clip that you have to be respectful of their ability. You know, Carr, obviously dangerous. Rice, obviously very dangerous. Hunter, a little bit more iffy from the outside, but he's still capable. Um, And they can play in ball screens. Rice has that crazy pump fake move that he loves to use and everyone falls for it. And he gets into the lane and scores at the rim that way. They all finish well. How do you see Xavier matching up on the perimeter? And is that your biggest concern coming into the game? Yeah, I agree. That's Xavier is going to need um, Adam Kunkel and Sule Boom to to at least provide some passable defense out there on some guys who are really good, who are you know like uh, all Big Twelve level players. Um, my question for you is: so multiple ways you can guard some of the ball screen actions that that Texas does. You can come up there. Uh, Xavier a lot of times has dropped, which it means guy kind of stays in the lane. Like you think of Creighton. Creighton's a big drop team, so Nunji would never leave the paint. He would never, you know, like he would treat the the area outside the paint like it's lava. That's a, that's a drop coverage, and then or they could come up and hard hedge it, which means Nunji would come up and and come up all the way up to the screen and try to impede the ball handler as he's coming around the screen, or you can kind of go middle, middle of the road there. So Nunji kind of comes a little bit outside and shows on the, the ball screen. Um, Xavier's done all three of those things at times this year, but is there one way as you look at it that it, you know you would prescribe for, for this game? Well, I don't think there's any question that they'll be changing it up throughout the game. That's what they've been doing for most of the postseason here. And, you know, you can argue about how well it's worked at different times, but I think one thing that you've seen is early in the game, it seems like they're dropping Jack Nunji a lot. And later in the game, it seems like he's hard hedging a little bit more, or at least showing on these screens and, and offering a little bit support initially so that opposing guards can't just dribble right into a shot or right into the lane and start making plays. And my assumption is a lot of that is due to keeping him out of foul trouble. They want to try to avoid him getting, you know, a guard driving right into his outside hip as he's hard hedging, flailing their head back a lot to Holloway back in 2011 and getting a quick whistle on him. So I think that makes sense. And my guess is you'll see that again. But in my mind to win this game, you will have to take away Marcus Carr being able to dribble into three point shots off of the ball screen because he does that. He does that well. And it's very similar to what we saw Umoja Gibson do for DePaul against this Xavier team. It's it's something that's very easy to do if you're just going to drop Jack Nunji deep into the lane on drop coverage. Every yeah, he's Umoja Gibson 2.0, like you said. Um, he, I want to wait. I want I want to get both of your thoughts on this real quick. So uh, the Texas writer that I had on that'll be on my on the show tomorrow 
Um, he he went, talked a lot about uh, you know everything, every every angle of this game from the Texas perspective. But he said that he was around the team, and I don't know if he said that Rodney Terry said this or one of the players or who it was, but he said he was at the press conference and that the guys were preparing. I, I think the way I'm paraphrasing this, that they were preparing for Xavier similar to TCU. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And they, those two teams split uh, this year. They played two really close games. But he said that, you know, they were talking about how much they obviously, you know, coach speak, respect Xavier, all that stuff. But um, TCU was the direct comparison, I guess, that that somebody on Texas used. Was he saying that Jack Nunji was going to transfer to to Georgetown like, like Lampkin? That's what he was saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's an interesting one. I, TCU – like lead guard a little bit. Um, I confess I haven't watched a ton of TCU Horn Frogs basketball this year, um, so I'm not as not as deep into the weeds there. But that's an interesting one. Yeah, I'd be I'd be lying if I said I I knew enough about TCU to make that comparison accurately. But no, I, no, I, 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 I wasn't really expecting you guys like off the top of your head to do it. I was just saying, you know, looking forward, or if we get off this and you're looking at it tonight, I, that was just something that he had brought up and mentioned. Yeah, interesting. One other thing, going back on the, the ball screen thing that Rick was talking about just a second ago, is um, it strikes me that, like, the only thing that that makes me think Xavier might need to do a little bit something different, like, you know, they have changed up the coverages depending on the possessions, and like Rick was saying, um, especially over the last month since um, Fremantle got hurt, they definitely have sort of been like a, uh, a ramp up or once it gets like to the under 12 timeout in the second half, it's like, okay, now Jack Nungy can actually play defense and not, not be totally scared of fouls. Um, but the only thing that makes me think a little bit differently is, you know, Carr is, is great. Um, he's great at, at shooting off the dribble, coming around ball screens, you know, like Emoji Gibson or like uh, Primo Spears from Georgetown. Um, but he's also great in the mid range yep. and Tyrese Hunter is also great in the mid range. So, the extreme drop coverage where Nunji like really doesn't go more than five feet away from the basket. That sort of thing really worries me because that just opens up like that 15 foot runner that both Carr and Hunter are really good at. The other point I was going to make, and this is one that that Rick, I'm stealing your point um, because you can't talk. So I'll make the point for you because we talked about this earlier today. Um, But the, the um, other, so Marcus Carr gets a lot of the attention and Tyrese Hunter gets a lot of the attention. Um, on the game plan when you think about the game uh for from a xavier perspective of what's really dangerous for texas but guy who's really interesting when you dive into like just how the texas offense runs is timmy allen so timmy allen is like six foot six ish he's listed six foot six um who knows what the actual height is he's an undersized forward um and he can't shoot um so in in that way like my initial reaction was like he's a poor man's bryce hopkins um, from Providence because he kind of gets his points in the same way that Bryce, Bryce Hopkins gets his points in that, like, he can't shoot. Um, his best hope is, like, I'm just going to dribble the ball as hard as I can directly into your chest and then hope that the referee calls a foul or you fall backward and I can make a layup. Um, that's a lot of how he gets his points. But um, aside, if he's not doing that, um, if he's not just putting his head down and driving into somebody, he's also a great passer. And Texas runs a lot of their offense through him. Um, and Rick made the point, and I will steal it because he can't talk right now, um, that it's similar to like Oso Iguodaro from 
Marquette um, in a shorter version, but in the same way that um, you play through your center and get him the ball in, in places where he can make plays, whether it's kind of the, the free throw line extended area or whatever it might be, um, or on a short roll um, a lot of times from a pick and roll and be able to, to have him make the proper decisions and get the ball to the right place on whether it's a cutter or whatever it might be. Um, that's an interesting and kind of a different wrinkle for Xavier and puts a lot of uh, stress on Jerome Hunter. Hunter's been great defensively, and he's kind of like well-suited for that matchup. He's got a couple inches on on Allen, and he moves his feet well and all of that. Um, but shutting down that aspect of, um, of the Texas offense is a, is a good way to kind of short-circuit the way that Texas gets into a lot of things in their half court. Doug, I love your research. <laughs> I really do. Uh, well, as Rick's going, can I get an update on the, the driving status? Where where are we at? Yeah, we are... Uh, 152 miles. Kareem, my photographer extraordinaire. How's it going, fellas? Is here with me. We're 152 oh. miles out. And you know what? We're getting stronger. <laughs> I think so, you're about uh, to pass, like, wait, one of the... Pre- wait. There's a presidential okay. library out there, Adam. I think you'll pass that in about 20 miles. So keep your eyes peeled. Good to know. Presidential library. Yeah, you know, the, are, you know, one thing I wanted to to maybe bring up, and you guys can invite some Xavier fans in to talk about it or take on some calls. But um, how crazy is it that you know Sule's playing against his uh, his former head coach in this game, and Rodney Terry? That it is interesting. That like I feel like that's happened a few times in the last few years with like the, the explosion of the transfer portal and all that. Obviously, like you know, like the the Bryce Hopkins situation, it's not exactly like that, but similar. It is funny. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what Sule will say about it, and I'm sure Sule will be classy and say great things. And same thing with Rodney Terry. But um, it's an interest. It's a funny one. Boys, how we say? Yeah, it's it. Rick, La- that might be loud and clear. Hey, Rick, I think you're there. There it is. I do want to ask you about that whole coaching situation. I mean, do you think Rodney Terry? Being Sule Boom's former coach actually matters in any significant way in this game? If anything, I just think like, and, you know, I I think we've talked about it enough, like Sule can struggle at times defensively. And, you know, it's nothing like every coach who watches Xavier on tape, they see, they see mismatches and things that they can exploit. So it's not like, Rod, the fact that Rodney Terry coached them is going to be like, oh, I know exactly how to attack Sule and, you know, make them really vulnerable. Like, all that information is out there to be seen by every coach who scouts Xavier. So I don't necessarily think that there's an advantage or disadvantage one way or the other. I just, you know, maybe, you know, I, I'm assuming that Sule has a great amount of respect for, for Rodney Terry. So, but I also think that Sule probably wants to beat him very badly and vice versa. So if anything, it's just a, a cool little wrinkle in this game. So I don't think there's a true advantage or disadvantage that's going to play out. Yeah, I was thinking of the same thing. It's not um, like in, uh, I don't know, 1971 basketball when like somebody's like, oh, I, you know, I haven't seen Rick Mount play at Purdue. Um, and this guy knows everything about Rick Mount's <laughs> game. And he knows like when Rick Mount dribbles three times to the left, that means he's going to pull up for a jump shot. Like that is, uh, it is not exactly the way that things work in, in 2023 um, when every, every 
breath that Sule Boom has taken on a basketball court is on all sorts of film and on like anybody can watch it um, and knows exactly, you know, like, oh, when, when Sule Boom drives left, he's going to try to uh, shoot a high floater off the top of the, the top corner of the backboard over and over again, because here's a hundred clips of him doing it. Like none of that stuff is really a secret. And the fact that it, yeah, Rodney Terry's seen him do it a lot more times than a lot of other humans on, on earth. Um, maybe he can like emphasize that point a little more strongly to Tyrese Hunter. But aside from that, I'm not sure that there's any kind of tactical advantage. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't think it really matters all that much. I think it's a funny storyline, something that's going to be talked about a lot in the lead up. I think it's probably something that'll be overanalyzed in terms of actual impact. I don't think either guy's really going to care that much. I mean, Rodney Terry's not going to be caught by surprise by Sule Boom, but neither was any other coach that Xavier's played in the postseason so far. Like they all know what he's capable of. One, so, one other point too is uh, um, I think Serge Jabari Rice played against Sule quite a few times as well because Serge Jabari Rice was at New Mexico State. Um, so, you know, another guy who, who knows Sule Boom pretty well, even if it's on the opposing sideline. Doug, let me ask you about one more guy because I, I think you talked about Timmy Allen appropriately enough. And the last time I tried to speak about him, I turned into uh, an alien or something. So, Dylan Dessou, their big man. He's 6'9", maybe not actually that tall. That's what he's listed at. He's lanky. He's got some bounce to him. He's a guy that wasn't a big offensive piece most of the year. I mean, they used him a little bit, but he turned into a go-to option all of a sudden in the NCAA tournament for them. What stands out when you watch Dylan DeSue, and, and how much do you think that's going to be a problem for Xavier, or should it be much of a concern going the in? One thing that jumped out to me is a, a lot of his it, – it, it just is like a lot of activity. He, he's just active. Um, you know. And even if you look at just some of the raw stats, like you, you just scroll through his Ken Palm numbers um, of like his, his stat lines over the, the course of the season, it just – like the, the activity numbers of like fouls, steals, blocks, stuff like that, you just didn't – didn't register as highly in the first half of the season. And then all of a sudden those numbers go from like, Oh, he's getting um, he one, one steal every three games to like three steals in this game or, or two blocks in that game or whatever it is. So he just seemed more active um, in the second half of the season as a general matter. I know that's not specific, but just like that just seems to be a general case. And then that shows up with more transition points, um, more points on just kind of hustling um, down the floor and getting early position in the post. And now, um, OK, here's you know a quick dump in. He's able to get a dunk or whatever it might be. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with you know, him like uh, in a, a set floor and okay, we're gonna walk the, the ball up and throw it to Dylan Disu on the on the block and he's gonna do a Kevin McHale post move and, and score points there. I you know wasn't exactly blown away with anything there. He's more of just like a really active athletic big man who's gonna he's gonna score opportunistic points when they're when they're available. Yeah, the one thing and we were talking about how Xavier is going to defend ball screens. And if you do hedge in any form or fashion, it opens you up to some role actions, obviously, with the opposing big man. And that's where Dylan DeSue has really made a lot of his money here in the, the postseason is doing some short role actions where he doesn't get all the way to the rim. He's catching somewhere just inside of the free throw line. And he's kind of got this weird, some people are calling it a floater. I would call it more of like a, a leaning mid-range shot where he's just kind of pushing it in with one hand from about 10 feet out, eight to 10 feet out. And he's scored a bunch 
off of that in the postseason here. Uh, he's also, like you said, I mean, he's not a guy that they've played through a lot on the block where he's just going to dominate you, jackhammer you into the post and lower his shoulder into you with a drop step and finish through you with some power. But he has had a lot more confidence with a look, that baby hook shot that'll go to and this sort of hanging turnaround fadeaway jumper. And again, I think that's a positive for Xavier because while you don't want their big man to catch fire like he's been and, and score really well, at least if they are playing through him and he's got it rolling, he doesn't really do things that draw fouls on the opposing big man. Yeah. He, he tends to fade away from the basket and plays more of a finesse game. He's not a guy that's looking to, to power through you. And I think that's a good sign for Jack. Yeah, Nogi. that's a great point. Um, critical question is on on those mid-range weird floater type things where would you put it on the lavender scale i had a maybe like a oh, four negative three <laughs> i mean it's ugly it is such a weird looking shot i would never call it a floater i've seen other people make that mistake but i would okay never. yeah i apologize to drew for even giving it a four yeah, please. I mean, it's been bad. He's had a rough enough year after Sean Miller's introductory press conference where he got compared to LeBron. <laughs> it's true. Uh, that was all I had for my uh, my Texas thoughts, but uh, I'm happy to stick for a second if you got anything else. Awesome. Well, Doug, I, I appreciate that. Um, Paul, do you see anybody else in here? Or do you I, see, I see three people. I do, yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to Southern Muskie. Go ahead, Southern Muskie. Then we'll go to Johnny. I only have one more after Southern Muskie in here, so if anybody wants to call, uh, load them up, and we'll, and we'll get you on here. Hey, what's up, guys? So I'm going to kind of sidestep because you guys have done great with analyzing, you know, what's to come Friday night with Texas. So I'm going to sidestep and ask the question or ask your guys' thoughts about what's taking place and the Big East this entire week. So the coaching changing between, you know, Providence, Georgetown with Cooley to Patino and all that. What is your overall thoughts? That? And then, you know, what do you think about Xavier's future with everything that's going on with that? Do you think nothing's changed? They're in good position, anything like that? I guess just really trying to get your guys' thoughts overall. My very quick overview would be all of this has been very good for the conference. Just if nothing else, just the drama of it all and the making the conference relevant factor has been huge. I don't think there's any way to deny that Rick Pitino being back in the conference, say what you want about his character. It's massive. I mean, he puts butts in seats. People care. People want to talk about him and he's going to win. So uh, from from a Xavier's future perspective, I think Xavier is still in a really good spot because they have probably the second best coach in the league right now, second to Rick Pitino. And the only concern that's taken place recently is that now you have to compete with St. John's at the top of the conference, because I think Xavier is going to be a top two or three program in the big East, probably for the next, however many years going forward right now. I mean, that's not going to be easy. It's still a struggle, but with Sean Miller at the helm, I think that's where Xavier is going to be positioned. Now you just wonder, do you have another team to fight with year after year in St. John's? And that would be my only concern. Uh, I'll open up to you guys. Let's go to, to Paul first on this. Well, it, look, this conference since realignment has won two national championships, and I'm not sure there has been any more excitement or that the conference has ever been lit on fire like it has in the 24 hours from Sunday to Monday to then get Providence – 
to have Ed Cooley leave and go down to Georgetown and then Rick Pitino to take that St. John's job. I mean, I, somebody tweeted it out earlier, and I, I saw it too quick, and I don't remember who the account was. I wish I could give him credit. About, about two years ago, the total amount of NCAA tournament wins that the Big East had two years ago compared to now as far as the coaching staff goes, I mean, we are talking about, without a doubt, the conference that has the best coaches in college basketball, I don't think that could be debated, right? So now you're you're talking about a league that has dominated the headlines for four days straight. If you went to ESPN.com at any point in the last three to four days, the Big East had two or three, if not four, of the top headlines at the top of the page. And there's nothing more that you can ask for if you're the Big East. This is fantastic for the league that Rick Pitino is there. I know a big sticking point with that was being able to play at Madison Square Garden, and it sounds like they figured that out. It sounds like St. John's is going to play most, if not all, of their home games at Madison Square Garden. I know that was something that Rick Pitino cared a lot about, and it sounds like they figured that out. Um, I really don't think you can say enough about how great this is for the league and how much fun this is going to be now and over the next few years. Yeah, so I was going to say, too, I, I 100% agree with you guys. I, I think this week, as wild as it's been, it's been great for the league. Um, I think there's a great future with it. You know, I, I I do think it's got it's a lot more competitive, but I think that's in a good way for Xavier and all that, you know, in terms of recruitment and whatnot. But it, it's been fun. It's been a very fun distraction, at least leading up to this Texas matchup coming on Friday. One question, one last question, and then I'll get off, is Zach Fremantle. So he's not competing, obviously, with being injured and all that. What do you think his future is in terms of being with Xavier? Do you think – We'll talk about it after the year. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I'm good with that. Um, Other than that, yeah, I you know, Friday, thank you guys so much for everything you've done with this coverage and whatnot. And then, um, yeah, I'll let you guys get going. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate the call. Fair to start talking about where a guy might be leaving to a couple of days before a game. I don't think it's what I understand. It's interesting in general because the transfer portal is starting to move, but we can wait two or three more days to talk about what the future holds for Zach Freeman. Yeah. I don't think whoa, that's whoa, whoa. Rick, Rick, a week, a week. Yeah, plus. I think you mean like a week, more yeah, days. A week Rick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> you about the the change here, especially with the Ed Cooley going to Georgetown situation because you have been going to Georgetown games all year. I think you have season tickets. Like what's the, uh, what's the vibes like around town? Uh, well, yeah, he, he did hit me up because um, he sold his house for 1.9 million in Providence. And that just wasn't enough to buy a studio apartment in DC. So he's, he's looking to live in my guest room. Um, so I'll let you know how that goes. Um but oh, one other thing on um, as long as I'm making jokes on uh, the on St. John's, the, the funniest thing to me was that uh, Patino obviously knew that people were going to be were, talk about, oh, they're hiring a 70 year old coach. He could not have been happier about those photographs next to Lou Carnesecca because, my God, nobody has ever looked younger than Rick Patino in the photograph next to Lou Carnesecca. Um, but. Yeah, he asked Tommy Lasorda to jump in, but they <laughs> yeah, and Sister Jean was going to get in there too, but they couldn't get her on the plane. Um, yeah. But, uh, anyway, what, where were we? We're bringing somebody else in here. Georgetown, Georgetown, uh, Georgetown. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think it'll be great. Like it, DMV, the DMV has a lot of recruits, and um, Providence, Rhode Island, does not, except for Tyler Kolick. Uh, so the, he's going to have a lot more 
a lot more guys available to him, even in like the second swing of guys um, who are maybe they went off to Virginia Tech or they went off to the SEC somewhere and they want to come back home. Those types of guys are are going to be readily available to him. Plus, he plays in an NBA arena, even if it's an empty one. Um, they did redo their facilities on campus there, and it's it, they've got, in theory, the support system to to build a winner. Um, I don't. I'm not expecting him to. And I know he said he's going to win the national championship or whatever he said today. I don't think that's to be expected. Um, but a, a team that is at least contending for the tournament every year um, is is reasonable. And then maybe a team that that makes a couple second weekends or whatever it might be that's reasonable. I don't know if they're going to be back to the glory days of the '80s, but that's a that's a reasonable expectation at Georgetown. Yeah, that was my take on it. I, I just thought that. Ed Cooley may not be a home run there, but at the very least, you know you're going to be competitive in the conference again, and Georgetown needs that in the worst way. They cannot afford to be a doormat still. It it had gotten so bad here over the last few years that just being competitive will be good enough, I think, for the time being. Now, long-term, Ed Cooley will have to prove some things, but initially, he will get them quickly to a certain standard that makes them at least middle of the pack in the conference, I yeah. believe. Can I make one, one other point, too, on the coaches? So I made the point the other day of like it, it's been really beneficial to the Big East in the NCAA tournament to have a diversity of, of styles of play in the conference. And, and the Big end, of course, yeah. the easy the easy one to pick on as the opposite of that. But I would put the Mountain West in that same category, by the way. Mountain West has... Uh, frankly, been terrible in the NCAA tournament for decade, like over a decade now. And part of the problem is everybody plays kind of a similar style out there, and you might not you might not be able to prepare as easily for. Um, okay, now hey, you're playing uh, a random team from the SEC or whatever it might be. Um, but but don't you get the sense that the Mountain West is a little bit of a mercenary league? Yeah, too? that too. Oh, absolutely. Like they always have these talented guys, but no one really seems that bought in or I mean, it's just it's a fun league to watch. But I'm not surprised every year when these teams go out. I mean, personally, I grew up like dreaming of playing for the Wyoming Cowboys, but I I realized that some other people (laughs) did not. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah. So like my point is, I I think a lot of that is the same way. Um, Paul, you had a great question. It's earlier today when you're talking to, to Dave Miller senior, um, where you were talking about, um, and Dave was saying, uh, Mike D'Antoni and some other guys like, uh, even McDermott at, at Creighton have changed their stripes. Um, but I think Patino is actually another great example of that. Like Patino, when he was at UK, he was a running and, and pressing, um, for 40 minutes. He was playing that style in the nineties. And then you look at his teams over the years and he's just kind of been a chameleon, um, to whatever, whatever style is, he can win with. Um, and so he's, he might take whatever leftovers they have from Mike Anderson and meld it into his style. Um, and he's going to be playing faster though. And then you look at somebody like, like uh, Villanova, Kyle Neptune is still going to play super slow. Um, Shaheen Holloway is going to play super slow. So it's going to be kind of the same type of thing. Obviously um, I think, you know, Cooley's going to play the same way at Georgetown that he did at, at Providence to some degree. So you're still going to get that diversity of styles, even with some of the new coaches coming in. To that question about coaches changing up their style in the middle of their careers, I know there are a lot of people criticizing him right now because Marquette bowed out early, but I would put Shaka Smart in that category. That's a guy who went from grind out every possession, defense is the only thing that matters, to 
we're going to try to play one of the funnest styles on offense in the country and open it up and everything is just read and react. No set plays, no grinding out at all. And if we have to sacrifice on defense, so be it. I give him a lot of credit. Now, it didn't work in the tournament this year, but it did get him uh, a regular season championship. And um, obviously, they're a team that has been very impressive throughout the course of this year. I I think we haven't heard the last from Shaka Smart at Marquette. I think this is going to work long term. I know there are real question marks about his performance in the tournament stemming from his days at Texas, uh, but I'm I'm interested to see where this goes going forward because he has completely changed everything. That's true, and and of course DePaul is back. We need to to note that too. Um, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously. So so I mean, would you rank it Patino one, Miller two? McDermott three right now as the top three coaches. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I and have, then where do I you go a, from there? That's where it gets interesting. I have a soft spot for Mata. I think Mata still is a really good coach, but I think Mata, I, I do ding him in some ways um, of just like just what we talked about, of, of changing your stripes. I think in some ways Mata still plays like it's 2007, and he hasn't totally yeah. updated his offense in, to a 2023 style. You can still win 22, 23 games in the, in a big, with a big schedule playing a 2007 style if you have the right guys who are big and burly and willing to you know collect fouls and all that um, but I just don't know if he's going to be at the the upper echelon of college basketball anymore with the way he plays so who, who would you go fourth after that like for me it would probably be Hurley fourth after McDermott yeah uh, I put Hurley fourth that makes sense uh, well I guess I would work from the bottom up um, not a huge fan of Stubblefield and and Neptune honest honestly Neptune didn't totally impress me I, I would agree, but I also think you have to give them an incomplete yeah, just because we saw how much of a different team they were with Whitmore and Moore versus with Yeah, um, I really am a big fan of Holloway as well. Um, I would So I'd put him maybe sixth um, there if we're counting down that way. Um, what, Mata fourth or I guess fifth there. I lost track of it. But yeah, I put, I put Shane yeah, Holloway. I, 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 yeah, I'd go McDermott three. And then I would, I think right after that, I would go to probably Hurley, yeah. then Chaka Smart, then Ed Cooley, and then I would go to Shaheen Holloway, I think. And then I would go Mata after that. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Um, this is electric radio, I imagine. But yeah, yeah, really good stuff. <laughs> but I mean, heck, it's what everyone's talking about. I've well, been asked much, my Big East coach is, rankings. Is that an indictment at all on Georgetown that we? have Cooley that far down the list and they still went with him. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I was never blown away with, with Cooley um, just from an X's and O's standpoint. It, I think, I feel like he motivates his guys and, and he does develop players a little bit better, but geez, he's a culture, he's guy. a culture guy. And I, I just always felt like the last two years, some of it was smoke and mirrors with, um, you know, in some, in a lot of big games, the best, the, the best guy on the court for them was Brian O'Connell or, um, or, or Jeff Anderson. Um, because you know, you play, you play them at the dunk or the amp or whatever they call it. And they're going to get to the free throw line 35 times come hell or high water. And you've got to fight, figure out a way to, to win with foul trouble and with, with them getting 
25 free points from the free throw line. And so I, I just, it, that, that style of play doesn't, I don't love that style of play. So maybe I'm biased against it a little bit. Paul, do we have any other callers? Yeah, we do. We have, uh, I see one more in here. Hold on. Johnny's in here. Uh, can I say two quick things? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. First thing, you know, I think the, the Big East uh, media rights deal is, is two years away. I think they have two more years left. Does, does like Patino move the needle and, and maybe sweeten that deal a little bit, or does that not really matter in the grand scheme of things? And then part two is, what do you think about uh, Brian Snow being a representative of the great <laughs> Uh, University of Notre Dame. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Brian Snow part is just a wild world that we're living in to think uh, that I, I don't know if it was, I think it do- might've been Doug actually who texted me this earlier today that we're about to w- live in a world where Brian Snow is going to be sitting next to a priest next year on a bench. And uh, that is a fascinating thing to think about. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, as far as St. John's and Rick Pitino moving the needle, I think it does. I think it matters, but here's the problem. The counterpoint to that is people are going to tell you, well, yeah, this is St. John's trying to get up to par. So the big 12 will take them in the, the next realignment talk. So, you know, who knows how all that's going to play out. Uh, I, I really don't have much of a feel for it, that type of stuff. It's played so far above. I mean, I talk to coaches about this type of thing all the time and they are absolutely clueless. They have no idea, no idea what's going to happen. So this stuff is played above most everyone's heads at this level to where it's really hard to get much of a grasp on. I know I know there are some people that definitely have insiders uh, from a national perspective, but they are few and far between when it comes to conference realignment talk. Adam, I just have to say I appreciate your words of wisdom on the speed trap. You're welcome, bro. You evaded it, huh? I did. I'm getting gassed right now, but I appreciate the heads up there were Two, uh, there were two federal officials that were sitting on the side of the highway, so I appreciate you're it. You're also, in, in a little bit, uh, you're going to pass a like an 18-wheeler that turned over on its side. It's a pretty wild scene. And then we oh, also no. just passed a person walking along the side of the highway, and it looked like they were pushing a wheelchair or something like that. So you've got some obstacles ahead, Paul. Well, we were stuck in that traffic jam. We didn't. We got off the highway. We were stuck in that traffic jam for about an hour, and uh, we've we've now stopped like four or five times. And on the way down to Greensboro, I did not go to the bathroom. I did not stop for food or anything. And I was there in like six and a half hours. So this ride, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone right now or something. And this ride is just this this ride is taking forever. Honestly, this this space is, has been a godsend for passing the time. So I Adam, I, I I just cannot. I, I am envisioned for the last two hours, Trevor and I have been sitting here envisioning ourselves at the hotel bar at about 1130 tonight. I'll be drunk by the time you get there, Paul. <laughs> I'll have some catching up to do. You, you two are like the FBI's most wanted. I'm glad we got that uh, yeah, sorted yeah, that's out. That's exactly what we are, Rick. You know us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, are there any more callers to take or should I just wrap this thing up? Johnny's in here. Um, he hasn't spoken yet, but he's added as a speaker. He oh, yeah. I do see Johnny. Yet. Johnny Blade, what's up? I, uh, you know, I didn't want to speak over Adam Baum, of course. That's polite uh, of you. But uh, so this could uh, be pretty quick. Am I allowed, since you mentioned something about the Fremantle thing earlier, am I allowed to ask about a transfer player, transfer portal player that is not at Xavier? 
or does that need to wait until the yeah. end of the season? No, I, I just don't like, look, I, it's not that you're not allowed to ask about him. I don't mind it. I'm not mad about the question. I'm just saying, I think it's probably the wrong vibes to discuss on the sweet 16 preview podcast. Okay. I, I, you know, you know what that's I'm saying? Fine. But like, who's the guy that you want to talk about that's uh, in the well, transfer portal already? So, uh, well, so just been reading some crazy things on the message boards today, right? Uh, yeah. Seeing people talk about that uh, Tubelis guy from Arizona. Just wanted your thoughts. Well, he's not in the transfer portal. Uh, well, I get. Well, okay. So I guess my thing. I saw somebody shared that tweet that said two. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who that guy is. I don't. Okay. I don't know if that has anything to do. Now, if you want to talk about Kirk Creasa, who is in the transfer portal, I think that's an interesting name to look at. I have I did, no doubt that, that Xavier that is going cool. to be involved there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think talking about guys that are in the transfer portal makes sense, but talking about, uh, tampering with guys or talking about guys that are at Xavier that may leave in the future. Like let's, let's that's maybe fair. save. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. I get it. The Kirk Reese thing though, that seems very, very cool that, that I guess I saw the 24, uh, seven website, put him at a hundred percent to Xavier. I did notice that that happened like right like an hour after BJ from Dana's offered to put multiple Estonian beers on tap. And then like, like an hour later, that went to 100%. Not a coincidence, I don't think. <laughs> you, you can't read too much into yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, I think what, that, what you're referring to when you say uh, 100% is the predictions, like the crystal ball predictions, which means just like one person has said he's going to Xavier, right? Like that, the 100% just means there are no other predictions at this point. Whoever's got, predicted has predicted to Xavier. But that being said, like everyone is going to predict that at this point because – to my knowledge, there are no other schools involved yet. Yeah, I was. That was going to be my next question: is what that hundred percent meant? So that that I, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, which uh, I mean, it's not a surprise. People are predicting that. I I had a write up about him on the message board, so uh, there, there's more on that uh, about Kirk Creesa, but I, it's definitely a name I have my eye on. Very cool. All right, I, that's all I got. But uh, thank you for answering this. Awesome, Johnny. And we will talk about all of the transfer portal stuff. I'm already working on postseason write-ups for what's going to happen in the transfer portal, what to expect, all that stuff. So it's not like this is t- topics that are off limits. I, I just think it's better to wait a week on it. Oh, for, absolutely. No, you know, you just read some things and you have to ask. So that's, I that's where I'm at. <laughs> I totally get it. Thanks, cool, Johnny. Thank you. Uh, I see two more people in here. Um, I'll add them in. Three seed, if you can connect. We've had trouble connecting to some people tonight, so I don't know if uh, – I don't know if we'll get Can you here. hear me? Yeah, oh, we got you. Go. All right. Uh, long time listener. First time caller here. Just wondering Hell if yeah. you guys could power rank uh, meatballs, prayers, and hoops. Ooh. Ooh. Hoops number one, meatballs number two, prayers number three, and that's the easiest question I've ever been asked in my entire Not life. Not a big meatball guy? No, I had them too. Why not one? Because hoops. What do you mean? You don't like? I mean, it's meatballs. Come on. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's not like it's not top of the line on the delicacy uh, charts. I wouldn't say an all time. I mean, it's okay. I'll have a meatball. I'll, I like a meatball sub. I don't really like the cocktail meatballs that everyone serves with like the barbecue sauce. Oh, that's God, not doing no, it that's for not me. a meatball. A meatball sub is just unbelievable. Exactly. Love a good yeah. sprinkle a little. Parm- I that, but I still, I'll still take hoops. But, okay, let me ask you this: Are you are you getting rid of for the for eternity? Meatballs or hoops? It's not even a question. Well, that's it's meatballs. Simply not the question I asked, but but, well, but, but okay, but how? Hoops. Okay, okay, but how would you determine how to power rank them then? If not saying I can get rid of one but not the other. Mick, how would you do it if it's all eternity? If you have gotten rid of prayers, that seems like you're kind of putting yourself in a bind here. 
Huh. I'm okay with that. I know where I'm headed. <laughs> All right. Well, healthy debate. Thanks for answering. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. I'm just telling you where I come out on it. I think I would go meatballs, hoops, prayers. Uh, you're all heathens. Paul Fritchner, what are, where are you at? Oh, I'm not I'm not going anywhere uh, calming my nerves without some prayers. So I'll throw prayers one, hoops wow. two, meatballs three. Classy move. True, yeah. true Catholic move right there by Fritchner. What about Baum? Rank peanut butter, Paul, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do I want to die? I need some more for that. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I think I'm, I'm going to side with Rick here. I'm going to go hoops, meatballs, prayer, uh, me and God, we, we know where each other stand on our lists and, um, basketball comes first. Do we need to worry about Fanta? Is he getting enough sleep? Is he okay? I mean, he, he's had an interesting week. Fanta he had a roller coaster week. I think I would put my life savings on, uh, Fanta putting meatballs one respectfully. <laughs> Can you fill me in on the meatballs comment? I didn't. I like. I saw what he said, but I didn't understand the meatballs thing. Is that just like a reference to Italians? Yeah, because he was yeah. he was talking about he was talking about Rick Pitino being back in the Big East, and he was talking about how it was built on like New York City and the Italian food and everything. And he said that the Big East was built on prayers, hoops, and meatballs. I bet uh, Pitino's mother makes a fantastic meatball. I would agree with that. Yeah. Anything else, three seed? Uh, no, that's it. All right. Well, that's all we need. All right. I, I see one more person here in the queue, and then if nobody else comes on, we can uh, we can wrap it up. Make it a good uh, one. Also, just had somebody try to commit credit card fraud in the in the gas station. On you? <laughs> no, the guy in front of us in line buying Cheetos credit card got declined, and it said stolen credit card. Ooh, did he? Did you tackle him, Paul? <laughs> I was waiting on those federal agents from the side of the highway. Oh wait, hold on. Here's one more caller. This is how we can end it. Go ahead. Hey, first and foremost, all thanks and praise to the Lord and Savior Jerome Hunter. Amen. I know, I know he raised <laughs> prayers first. All right, well, go ahead, that's a, that's a high level prayer. I will say. You know, any anything to help us out if Jeffrey Anderson's in the vicinity. Anything. My uh. My own, I, I only got one quick thing. It's a gambling thing. Um, the play, the whale play, as I've been calling it, is Jerome Hunter points, rebounds, and assists. It's hit. What is the line for this game? The, I don't. I haven't looked yet. It's been so. Kennesaw State. It was at sixteen and a half for minus one twenty, and then they only increased it by one for Pitt at seventeen and a half, also minus one twenty. That's only on uh. DraftKings. I'm more of a bet Fred kind of guy, right, Paul? And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm a company man. Uh, but I know, I do know from prior experience, the prices do change throughout the books just because they've only, they probably only have offered Jerome Hunter outside of March Madness in the Big East tournament, like five or six games. And that was only when he was starting. So shop around. But I would just, I would assume you're not going to see much movement within the line maybe it gets to 18 and a half but i would think that just given all the hype on texas and stuff that they're not going to increase it that much and given what we've talked about how he's going to have a good matchup he's been amazing in march madness quick tidbit as mentioned in paul's podcast one of only three players in march madness to be perfect from the free throw line so i'd say unless there's some crazy movement on the line guys 
let's let's make sure we have money so that we can all go down to Houston for the final four and put your money on Jerome Hunter points, rebounds, and assists this Friday night. That's all I gotta say. It's over 16 and a half on DraftKings right now. I'm looking at it right now. It's over 16 and a half, but here's the problem. It's heavily juiced, minus one. Uh, shop shop uh, around then. You got to shop around. Yeah, you got to find that. I, I would be fine with it even at 17, I think, or 17 and a half if I could get it at like minus 105, something like that. But I'll tell you what I like a lot better. Jack Nungy over 13 and a half points. Ooh. Ooh. Spicy. Minus 115 on that. Let's let's just say this: If you think Xavier's going to win, which we all know they're going to, and you want to go to Houston, take all your money out of the bank stocks right now and just slam it home, baby. Slam it home. Uh, all right, I think that's it. So appreciate all you guys tuning in. Talk about Texas. Talk about the Sweet Sixteen. Xavier will be tipping off late Friday night. It's the last game of the Sweet Sixteen. Probably tipping off. What do you think? Around ten p.m. I would say. That'd be my guess. So, yeah, probably uh, make- around 10. The first game's at 7.15, uh, so it'll be a half hour after whenever that ends. Yeah, so make sure you hydrate. Make sure you stay up late. Make sure you subscribe to musketeerreport.com. Make sure you read Adam Baum's work on cincinnati.com. Make sure you read Doug Tift's post on the musketeerreport.com message board. And make sure you listen to the latest rebound rundown that Paul Fritschner just put out because it's a great one. We'll see you all later. Enjoy the Sweet 16, everybody. It's going to be a great two days of basketball.